0: This message was presented at the GYC 2017 conference, Arise, in Phoenix, Arizona. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org. Okay, we're going to start our last one. Um, The final one, Escaping Soul Chains. By the way, so we, I think we have a few extra handouts, my wife in the back, that she can get to you if you missed someone previous one. There's no handout for this one. And um, if you have, no, that's, for the, that's for tomorrow. Yeah, thank you, uh, tomorrow morning. If you're interested in our school that we have in different locations, uh, there's a sign-up sheet with my wife in the back there. You can sign a clipboard or email. We're sending you the updates. You can come to our booth in 205 Healing Rain. We're going to be there. Um, you can talk with us, ask questions, or even about the seminar. You can ask questions about different things. So the last presentation for today is entitled Escaping Soul Chains. The clipboard, yeah, in the back there. My wife is holding up. You can sign with her. She's, um, escaping Soul Chains is we'll be focusing upon just uh, breaking the soul ties that happens. You're going to see that in a little bit. And then tomorrow morning, people have been asking me about tomorrow morning. Tomorrow morning is about uh, playing the love game. And so there's games that men play with women to get what they want, to manipulate women to get what they want. And there's games that women play with men, which are totally different, to get what they want in order to manipulate men. So, and that's a lot is based upon the first two presentations we did this morning. So, that's what tomorrow is about. It's called playing the love game. This last presentation, I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. Genesis 2, verse 24. In order to have a healthy love life, we must first understand the freedom side of sexuality. Now, we like to look at it upon the restrictive side, but there is a freedom side, I believe, that we need to understand. And one of it I touched about a little bit in the past of how these different systems and churches and the papacy create a different caste system of um, those who are holier than others, they're, more, they're non-asexual, Right? They're celibate, they're monks, they're priests, they're nuns, they're holier than you, and the rest of us laity, they just um, enjoy the pleasures of sin, which is actually the pleasures of sex, which is actually a venial sin, which is not as bad as a a mortal sin, but it's still a a sin, right? And so, um, this kind of creating a caste system, Virgin Mary, that wasn't only a virgin, but her mother was a virgin as well, you know? So, this kind of making sex like it's um, restrictive. And what's happened? Back in the dark ages as well, that because of this, this theology that the repression of sex, even within the marriages, the per- greatest perversion of sex happens within, the, not only the lay people, but even within the clergy back then in the dark ages, right? Right? So a lot of sexual immorality, but not only back then in the Dark Ages, because of the sexual repression within the hierarchy of the papacy, you've seen a great resurgence of sexual immorality even among the clergy within the papacy today. Isn't that not true, right? And there, the root cause of that is the pendulum of swing of asexuality, which is not in, supposed to enjoy the sexual pleasures of the pleasures of, of sex, right? And so. The pendulum swings, and that goes back to the Dark Ages, and it comes back here today. And it's so obvious, we're not talking five children. you are talking thousands, tens of thousands around the world. you are talking thousands of priests. These are the ones that are caught, right? And so you see how that sexual repression leads to the other sexual perversion. It kind of swings because of that. That's what happens. That's what our pioneers believed as well. Seventh Avenue pioneers believed that as well. Um, so, in the same way, there's something there about, yes, talking about sexual restriction, but there's something about sexual freedom. Not sexual freedom in a sense you're hearing out there in the secular world, right? That's not what we're talking about. You heard my last presentations, we we're talking about sexual restrictions, right? But we're talking about sexual freedom in a sense that, that, that sexual, no, asexual. Um, like Christianity will actually make you more spiritual, right? The freedom away from that. But another type of freedom that I want to talk about, and that is escaping, I have freedom from something called soul ties or soul chains. This may be new to you um, because maybe it's something you haven't heard about before. But I pray as you go through this that you would want to be set free if indeed you are chained or tied in your soul. Let us pray. Father, thank you again for your spirit and Lord, grant your freedom to speak to your people and may you move unhindered among your hearts is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Genesis 2, verse 24. What is God's ideal for sex? Notice the Bible says, Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. The Bible says, Therefore a man shall leave his, what? Father and mother and be what? And cleave to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. There's that leave and cleave, right? In other words, you leave mom and dad, you cleave to your spouse, and two become one. Physically? Mentally, emotionally, spiritually, right? One. There's something here about beyond the physical. We're leaving the physical realm and we're going into the emotional realm. We're going to the spiritual realms. We're going into different realms here. There's a union that happens. And here's the whole thing. Can you see the mental? Can you see the emotional? Can you see the spiritual? You can see the physical, there's something happens when you have sex that there's a special unseen union that happens where you become one with the person you have sex with. Is that not true, right? It's called soul ties, soul change. You're tied to that person because of what you've done in the past. Now, sexual intercourse creates the most intimate of levels like unlike anything else in this world. Uh, another word for sex in the Bible is know, right? Adam and Eve, they knew each other, right? And thus, what conceived a child, right? In other words, so in other words, they had sex, and, and, they, and actually, she actually got pregnant, and she gave birth. So, sex is actually knowing, right? This to know. So that same word is used, and then you have um, the Bible also says that. This is John 17, verse 3. This is life eternal, that they may know him and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. So in other words, that know is actually referring to a special spiritual intimacy of oneness as when Adam and Eve knew each other and had a child, right? So that spiritual realm of knowing, of, this is a spiritual realm we're talking about here. So sex is not only a physical unity of oneness but primarily it's a mental oneness emotional oneness and a spiritual oneness that comes together you become one flesh and this is the same type of intimacy that a a couple has this is the same type of intimacy guess what that God wants to have with you and me what a wonderful God amen he wants to be that close to you and to me we serve a loving God Okay, what happens when we yield our bodies to another person? Romans chapter 6, verse 16. Romans chapter 6, verse 16. Please turn there. Bible says, Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one slaves whom you obey? Word of sin leading to death, or obedience leading to righteousness. When we choose to yield ourselves to another person, we become their servant, and they become our master. And we choose to allow them to be our master, then we're allowing them to have a certain control over us, right? Who we are being. In the same way, when we yield our body to another person through sex, what we're really doing is that, um, that we're giving up ourselves to that person and the, allowing that person some type of ability to have some type of control over us. Is that not true, right? And so that's what happens when you have sex with someone. Now, those in authority over us have the greatest opportunity to either build us up, right, or to break us down. You know, think about your boss who has authority over you. They can either build you up or they can actually break you down. And so the same is true with sexual intercourse. When we give ourselves to sex, we're then giving to that person the power to either build you up or to break you down. Is that not true? How many of you been in relationships where you gave yourself to that person and in the end it, this totally ruined your life? And they're able to just break you. You're once so vibrant in life and so happy. You could face the world with, with, with confidence. And after that bad relationship, you're down there on the ground, broken, depressed, miserable, eating your own vomit. You ever been there before? That's what a person can do. When you sleep with someone, the control that they have with over you is, is powerful. Notice what it says here. Turn me to First Corinthians chapter six, verse sixteen. That's why it's so important to have sex in the context of marriage. It's only in a truly godly marriage that one can safely submit oneself to another. What do you say, Huh? Amen. It's a very beautiful experience to willingly submit yourself in body, mind, and spirit to the one you committed your life to. But you must be sure that you can trust that person that they won't abuse their power over you and control over you, right? And that's why it's very important who you choose as your partner. First Corinthians chapter 6, verse 16. What happens if one has sex with a prostitute? Notice the Bible says here. The Bible says... Or do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot, a prostitute, is one body with her? And then it quotes Genesis, for the two, he says, shall become what? One flesh. flesh. Now, now is this person married to this prostitute, you think? No. No, he's not married to the prostitute. So outside of marriage... If you have sleep with someone, even though you're not married to that person, it's not the marriage covenant that makes you one flesh, right? According to this text, right? What makes you one flesh is a fact that you slept with that person. If that's clear, let me say amen. Amen? amen. So you sleep with this person. Guess what happens? You become one flesh with this person. Whether that person is your spouse or not, it doesn't matter. You become one with that person. You become, you know, that, that word in the original Greek, joined, it means glued. Now, you have a piece of paper and another piece of paper. You put glue on both sides and you put it together. You let it dry. Can you separate that paper later on? It's impossible. You cannot separate it. It's glued together. And that's why God's covenant marriage, once you sleep together, they're glued together. You can't pull it apart. The text says that if you have sex with a prostitute, you're literally glued to her. Does it really mean that you're literally glued to her physically? Is that what it's talking about here? No. She left. She's doing it with someone else. It means that you're glued emotionally. Spiritually, you're glued. You're one flesh. You cannot physically break it apart. And that person, we're giving that person the right, again, To control us. You're chained to her emotionally, mentally, and spiritually. People don't realize that when it comes to sexual intercourse, it goes beyond the physical union. It always pulls them together in the spiritual realms. Now, what what is so important about our bodies? Look at first Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18, two verses later. Notice the Bible says. The Bible says, flee sexual immorality. Notice what it says. Every sin that a man does is what, outside the body. It's almost like there's two levels of sin. So every sin that you do, out, that you sin, is outside of the body. But there's a special type of sin it says here. But he who commits sexual immorality sins what, against his own body. It's like there's a different level of sin that happens here with sexual immorality. A gluing that's different. It's another level. It's against your own body, against your own self. And thus it must be dealt with. Now, when we commit sins outside of our bodies, there's consequences. But in comparison to, to actually when we sin against our bodies, it's way, there's consequences for that, but it's something special that happens. Why is the sin against our body worse than the sin done outside of our body? Look at verse 19. The Bible says, "Or do you not know that your body is the what? Temple Temple of the what? Holy Ghost who is in you. You have from God and you are not your own. In other words, the Bible says that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Ghost. In other words, what's another word for temple? Dwelling. Dwelling, sanctuary, church. Right? In other words, your body is a living church, and you don't have to go into a building to pray to God because you are a walking temple of God. What do you say, amen? amen. You're living temples, right? Known and read by all men, living epistles. And God, so our body is a living temple. And so God can worship. You can go anywhere, anywhere in this whole world, and you can still worship God. What a wonderful experience, right, amen? Now we learned that when we have sex with a prostitute, we become joined or glued together with her emotionally, mentally and spiritually. Therefore your spirit and her spirit, it becomes one. And thus now, when you worship the true God in your body now and you worship God, right, your body and her body both make up the body temple for worship now. Are you following me? Therefore the spirit of that prostitute in your spirit now make up your body temple. Now, according to Leviticus 21, verse 7, a whore or prostitute is called profane. And a Christian, right, 1 Peter 2, verse 9, those who worship God, is called a holy nation or sacred in the eyes of God. In other words, when you combine with a prostitute and you worship God, you're combining the sacred with the profane together in worship in the very temple of God, and this is what the Old Testament calls strange fire. If that's clear, let me say amen. Amen? amen. And that's what happens. When we have sexual immorality in this world, special unions of sex. Now, in deep occult practices, This is what happens. In these occult practices of Satan worship, you know what they do? They actually, to bind themselves and to tie their souls together, and to glue their souls together, they actually participate in most evil sexual acts to actually bind themselves together. That's why sex is on these Satan rituals, to bind themselves together so it cannot be broken. These are the dangers of marrying the wrong person Having premarital sex and sex outside of marriage when you're married. Sex is a spiritual thing. It's not just physical. We gotta kinda get that into our minds. It's not sex is not just physical. According to the Bible, it is a spiritual, sacred act that we need to look at. I think we kind of may have missed it. Okay, what is this? let's turn to uh, the three angels' messages. What do you say, huh, amen? Revelation 14, verse 7 to 9. Let's see what's happening here. What would be the final crisis in the last days? Revelation chapter 14, verse 7 to 9. Notice what it says here. The Bible says here, what is the final crisis in the last day? The Bible says, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to Him, for the hour of His judgment has come. And What? Worship him, right? So it's worship one side over here. That's one thing. And then another thing, verse 8, and another angel followed, said, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city, right? And because she has made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of fornication. And verse 9 said, Then a third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone, what is that word? Worship the beast in his image. So there's two types of worship. There's a true worship of God, right? And there's the false worship of the beast in his image, right? Now this beast and his image, so that's the true worship. So you have the true worship of God's people, and then you have the false, the, the sacred and the profane, right, being combined together in false worship of God and that false union. And that not that what's happening in Revelation 18? The beast and his image, what is this beast and image? Isn't it you see in Revelation 18, you see the beast, right, and a harlot, a prostitute, right, and the unholy union, coming together, right? And that's why you see, you know, this corrupt church, the woman representing the church, the beast representing the, the government, unholy union of church and state. So when it happens in the last stage, unite with the, the church Unite with the government, as found in the papacy, are we not seeing the sacred the profane being combined and then joining together called strange fire today? So what's happening out there in the institutions is really what's happening Maybe in your life today, or has happened in your life today. What happened when we sin by having sex outside of marriage? Proverbs chapter five verse twenty. Turning to me to Proverbs chapter five verse twenty. Just kind of going on this thought a little bit more. Proverbs chapter five verse twenty. What happens when we sin by having sex outside of marriage? Notice what it says here. Proverbs five verse twenty and then twenty two. For why should you, my son, be enraptured by an immoral woman and be embraced in the arms of a seductress? In verse 22, By his own iniquities, um, entrap the wicked man, and he is caught in the cords or the ropes of his what? Sin. There's something happens in sexual immorality that you are bound together or tied together by past sexual sins. If that's clear, let me say amen. 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 You bound to this. This is referring to all sin. But specifically, as we studied in the past, combining it all together, there is a special tying together, as if you're with the girl or the guy. You're tied together with this rope and you're bound together because of that sexual sin you've done. Not only the sexual sins that you have done. But even the sexual sins that have been done against you, against your own will, you're still tied to that person. And they can affect you for the rest of your life. Is that not true? Have you not seen that? The soul ties of sexual sins? And that's why we need to understand how Satan works in these last days especially. And why do you think Satan, we learned in the last presentation, is so focused on sexual immorality today? Because he wants to tie you with him and his evilness in his last days. The soul bond is established through sexual intercourse. You know, people think that once I have sex with this person, I can freely leave this person and I can go and have a relationship with this other person. And they think that because I physically left this person... I'm totally separated, not realizing that I may have physically separated myself from that person, but I'm still emotionally and spiritually attached and tied to that person, even though I'm maybe married to another person. Is that not true, according to this text, right? It's a spiritual thing. You're sitting not outside your body, you're sitting against your own body temple. And that's what is called a soul tie, a soul chain. And people today are unknowingly tied to someone whom they had sex with in the past. And it can have a damaging hold upon us today. It can govern our lives and how we think, how we feel, in our choices, our past sexual things that happen can affect our choices today. You know, within our marriages, these, you know, godly soul ties cause us to be like-minded with our partner. And although we be miles apart, you know, you ever been like miles apart and some kind of like, you kind of bought... Like a gift for one another, and you actually bought like a mug for one another, and they bought a mug for you too, right? You ever have been that? They get so in tune with one another, you're miles apart, and you actually did and thought the same thing. I've done it. Haven't it happened to you before? Just that soul tie, right? This closeness. And so in the, within the context of marriage, it's a very beautiful thing. It's a spiritual connection, unlike anything there is out there in this world. You're unconsciously being drawn in similar directions, this is beautiful if you're married, but it's not at all helpful if you find yourself thinking wrong thoughts because of a previous sexual partner. You see, the danger is that we may not have seen them for years, but the poor to think as they do still unconsciously affect us today. Is that not true? And even though you may be healed and forgiven, and your guilt has been taken away from the sins that you have done for sexual immorality, and praise God for that, what do you say, Amen but we still may be living with the consequences of those actions and decisions that we have done. And we still may be tied to these sexual sins that happened to us. You know, I, I share this because this is my experience before I was married, before I got converted, that this was my life, I slept around, I've had these soul chains, and I brought these soul chains into my marriage and it hurt my marriage. And my wife would bring her own different sins, sexual sins, into our marriage, and it hurt our marriage. And that's why you think that, well, I can just have fun here and fun there, and I can do what I like, and everything's going to be great when we get married. Great if we went, didn't go down that road. We are live in a world that's already, a chances are you're not going to make it in your marriage, right? That's just a true facts. And it's greater than 50%. That's just people who decide to get married. That's not the people who actually are living in sin and don't want to get married. You count the statistics of all the breakups, it would be way higher than 50%. So the statistics are against you. And then you're going to add upon that the soul ties that's happening before that. And bringing all these people into your marriage and all those bad relationships, those, those soul ties that you have done in the past, you're going to bring all these people between you into your marriage and expect it to become perfect. Turn to Matthew chapter 5, verse 28. Matthew chapter 5, verse 28. Are ungodly soul ties just limited to physical act of sex? Romans Matthew chapter 5, verse 28. Notice the Bible says here. The Bible says, 528, the Bible says, but I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed what? Adultery her in his heart you know, beyond the physical act, when you, began to, when you begin to fantasize about women, masturbate over it, when you begin to, like, emotionally lust for men in your mind, fantasize about them, when you start doing these fantasizing things, you're becoming one, in a sense, even in your mind. Because adultery is a spiritual act again. Do you see that? The emotional connection? And we talked about this morning, you bring this emotional lusting, you're bringing it into your marriage and you're not giving your marriage you're not giving your marriage a shot to make it basically that's what you're doing and you think that okay I'm a Christian everything is great you know I got converted, they're converted we're not doing sexual sins we did it right to getting into a marriage but the past is coming in and is affecting your marriage and I've seen this happen many times so there's a solution can you hear a big amen? amen what is the solution We have to go to Romans for that. Romans chapter 7, verse 1. What does the law have over a person? The Bible says, Do you not know, brethren, for I speak to those who know the law, that the law has dominion or control over a man as long as he what? So how long does it last? As long as they what? Live. Okay, so you have the law over here, right? And then, so as long as you live, the law is saying that it has dominion or control all of you over you. Now, verse 2, according to the law, the law, how long is a woman bound to her husband? Look at verse 2. The Bible says, For the woman who has a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as what? He lives. He lives. So, but if the husband dies, she released from the law of her husband. So here's a woman married to her husband, and how long. Will she be bound to her husband as long as what? He lives, right? So as as long as he lives. But when he dies, then she's what? She's free, right? If that's clear, let me say amen. Amen? Amen. Okay, good. We're getting there. So if one of them dies, the other person is set free from the law, that they are no longer glued to one another. Death is what sets us free from the law of a marriage, a union. Kind of seeing where we're going with this, okay? Now, verse 3. What happens if this woman marries another man while her husband is still alive? Okay, yeah, let's look like at verse 3. So the Bible says, so then if while her husband lives, you, you're a woman you married this man, he living, she married another man, she'll be called a what? Adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law so that she's no longer adulteress though she married another man. So she's married to this man and said, huh, this guy is abusive. I'm going to leave him. And I'm going to marry this other guy, right? And he's still married. Is that, what's going to happen? The fact that she's an adulteress, right? He can't do that. So, that's what, um, the only way is that she, he must die, right? So, what happens in verse 4? In the same way, when a when husband dies, she becomes free from the law. Verse 4, notice what it says here. Therefore, my brethren, and here's the beauty, here's the gospel Against sin. You also become dead to the what? Law through the what? Body of Christ that you may be married to what? Another to him who is raised from the dead that we should bear fruit to what? God. What do you say, amen? We become dead to Christ, right? We become dead to the law. Here's the law, right? Come dead to the law so we can slip out of this abusive marriage and then we'll be resurrected with Christ. And then we marry the same person who resurrected us and who allowed us to die on the cross. What do you say, Amen? And that's who we get married. That's how we get out of a bad relation. That's how we get out of sin. If that's clear, let me say, Amen. What do you say, Amen? So, this first husband was the flesh or the body of sin. This first husband is an abusive husband. He leads us to sin, always sinning and not, you know, can't get, get away from it. It's a bad marriage. But we want to get out of this bad marriage. But Christ is not going to come, and he's not going to take you and marry you because he can't do that, because it'll break the law, right? So the only way out is that you have to die. But the problem is that if you die, that's it. You can't be resurrected, right? Unless you die with Christ. What do you say, amen? And then you can be dead. Then you can be resurrected. The old man dies, right? the old flesh, body of flesh dies. And we can lead that bad marriage, and we can actually have, be married to Christ. And the only way is to Jesus Christ. What a wonderful Savior we have. What do you say? Amen? We can become free from marriage to the first husband, so then we can be able to marry our second husband, Jesus Christ. What a wonderful Savior. Amen? So what I'm going to do is I want you to see, to see this illustration. So I'm going to need like a, like a uh, let's see, a stern judge. Does anybody here like to volunteer? I just need to do an illustration with four people. So, I need, like, a stern judge. Okay, come on. Okay. okay. Thank you. Thank you for volunteering. Amen. It's good to see this thing, okay? Thank you. And you're going to stand right here. And you're going to look at, st- not mean, but dislike, the law cannot be broken. Okay? Thank you. <laughs> stand here. You can cross your hands or whatever you want to do, okay? <laughs> okay, it's right here. Okay, good. Thank you. Very good. Okay. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> okay, now I'm going to need, like, maybe, like, a young... Couple like a like a girl, okay okay. We need like a a, a girl and like abusive husband and <laughs> <laughs> no, okay okay man. This, this we just kind of like want to see we need to see this illustration okay. So a girl who, who who's gonna be who's in a married and then someone who's like abusive and then another person who actually this girl is gonna marry okay. Okay a guy okay you're abusive okay good thank you oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we need someone that this this girl. I don't know if this is your. You don't mind him, her. Is this your wife? Oh. She's gonna get married to another person. So maybe you can be the good. Is it like abusive guy who wants to be here? Like maybe I want to marry you to the end. Like maybe you're a good guy. Is that okay? <laughs> Okay. Is there another guy that, like want to be like abusive kind of guy, or you know, you, you're not ashamed. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> okay. Right on. <laughs> you're not abusive. <laughs> not abusive. He's not abusive. He's not abusive. You're not. Okay. So so we can marry living happily ever after. Okay. So you stand right here. Okay. Okay. So you you got married, Okay? And you weren't abusive at first, but he became abusive. Okay. And then. Sh- <laughs> you know we learned this morning that love and fear cannot coexist so he may have loved each other but because of the fear and she was afraid of him she there's no love anymore so she fell out of love with him right so because of that that's what happened all abusive relationships she wants to get out of his thing but he was never going to divorce her right he cannot so the only way that get out of this is that he needs to die, right? <laughs> or, she needs to die, right? So, here's Jesus Christ, right? <laughs> and that's the bad marriage, the body of flesh. She wants to get out of that. And the only way she's going to get out is that she needs to die. But how is she going to die? The only way is that she must be crucified with Christ. What to say? Amen? amen? So he needs to come. He's going to come over here. And she's going to stand right by your wife right here. And come next to your wife and put your hands out like this. And then she's going to go in front of him. And then put your hands out like this. And she was there with Christ and died on the cross with Jesus Christ. What I say? amen? Amen? And because she died and he died. But what happens three days later? The resurrected. Was this him? We were resurrected in Christ, right? Right? Resurrected in Christ. And so... Then, at the same time, they became married, the bride, and Jesus Christ. What do you say? Amen? Amen. Does that make sense? Yeah. But not only that, but because they're one, he goes in the front here, and I'm going to give you a text for this, okay? And put your hand up again as well. Okay, not only that, but um, because they're one, you know, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17, 18, if any man being in Christ, is a new creature, right? And also, Galatians 2, verse 20, or Romans 6, verse 6, at the cross, the old man of sin is also crucified on the cross, right? So all three were crucified there. So they're crucified and resurrected, but only these two were resurrected. What a wonderful God we serve. What do you say? Amen? So we no longer... Thank you very much. Now I say thank you. And this is the law He make sure everything was done right. Thank you. Okay. It wasn't done away with, but it made sure everything was done according to the law. And the same law that made sure that this marriage that was abusive stayed together... It's the same law that actually makes sure that the marriage of Jesus Christ stays together too as well. What do you say? Amen? So the law does not work against us. It works for us as well. Now, turn to Romans chapter 6, verse 3 and 4, and then we're going to see what's the point of this. Romans 6, verse 3 and 4. Notice what it says here about baptism. I want you to notice what it says. It says, Therefore, we were what? Buried with him through what? Baptism into what? Death. That Jesus Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father. Jesus Christ was resurrected. So so we also walk in the what? Newness of life. And that is the purpose of baptism. It's the same thing we talked about here, right? The purpose of real true purpose of baptism is that is actually baptism is the outward sign of what had already gone in your heart and in your mind. What do you say? Amen. In other words, you actually believe, you believe wrecking yourself to be dead. On, you believe that you're on the cross, you died. Your old man died. You got off a bad, abusive marriage with your body of flesh. You're resurrected, right? And then you're married to Jesus Christ. That's what it says right here. And then verse 6, verse 3 to 4, right? Walk in the newness of life. And that's what baptism is really all about, is a walk into newness. In other words, when you baptize. baptized, there's four things that happen. When you baptize, there is actually um, there is a double funeral, a birth, and a new marriage. You die when you baptize. The old man of flesh dies as well from Romans, right? Then you're actually given new life. You're given birth, and then you're married within a few seconds. Isn't that beautiful? What do you say? Amen. And that's how we get into a new life with Jesus Christ. What's the big deal about that? See, not only does this dying and resurrecting with Jesus set us free from sin, but it also sets us free from the soul ties that we have been glued to from our sinful past. What do you say, amen? amen. Whether these ties were from our own wrong choices or was forced against us, against our own will, from the sexual sins that were done against us, when we believe the gospel and actually we, we receive it as in Romans, we actually die And that old abusive sexual sin, that sexual partner that you were so tied to and glued to, that union is destroyed. Can you hear a big amen? Amen? Amen. And you are set free from the gospel. God sets you free from your past. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. What do you say? Amen? And that's what the gospel does. It sets you free. That is the freedom side of sex. No longer you need to bring those soul ties. No longer you need to bring all those partners you had sex with into your marriage and destroy the rest of your life and your happiness. No longer you can be set free. And God allows you to be set free if you would just believe. No longer all those people who who abuse you sexually molested you as a child. No longer will they haunt you and destroy all your relationships that you have for the rest of your life. No longer that's going to hurt you. You can be set free today. If you believe. And God wants to set you free. Don't you want to be set free? If you want to be set free, let me see hands out there. What do you say? Amen? Praise God. We serve a wonderful God. And he wants us to experience true healing in our lives. You know, but here's the thing. There's Jesus Christ over there. You want to be set free, but you should never marry if you don't love that person. Can you hear a big amen? Amen? amen. You should never marry unless you love that person. That's what Ellen White says is a sin. You should never marry Jesus unless you love him first. What do you say? Amen? amen. And how do you love him? Do you force yourself? You know, the text in the Bible is so beautiful. I think it's in 1 John um, chapter 4. Herein is love. Not that we. I have a memory. it. It says, Herein is love. This is love. You want to define what love is? Herein is love. Not that. You know, we say, people say, oh, you need to love God, you need to love God, you need to love God. That's not what love is found. Because the Bible says, here in his love, not that we love God, but that what? God loved us. What do you say, amen? Amen. In other words, love is not found in you loving God. You cannot love God. You of your own self cannot love God. Here in his love, not that you love God and I got to love God and I need to love God. It's not about you loving at all. Because that's not what love is found. Here in his love, not that you love God, but that God loved us. What a wonderful God. Amen? Why is that so important? Because the Bible says we love him because he first loved us. In other words, love awakens love. You cannot love God on your own. God only reveals his love to you. When you see his love that he has for you, then love awakens love for him. That's how you love God. You look at Jesus, you behold his love, when you see how much he loves you, something in your heart stirs and you start loving him when you never loved him before. And then you start to love him, then you fall in love with God, and then you get married to him because you cannot marry someone you do not love. And then you say, okay, I want to get out of this bad abusive marriage I had with the body of flesh, with these soul ties of my past relationships. Then, because you may want to get out of a bad relationship, but you got to make sure that you love Jesus first. You break out of it, you die on the cross with him, you resurrected, and then you married with Jesus. And then and only then can you live happily ever after. Can you hear a big amen? 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 And that's what God wants for all of us. So I'm going to challenge you with these covenant challenges that I have here. And it says, here's my covenant. Covenant to see the love God has for you and desire you to be set free. Can you hear a big amen? Amen? Number two, covenant to make a commitment to God that you would tie your soul to sexual intercourse only with the person you get married to. You believe that? Let me say amen. amen, amen. Three, covenant to believe that you were with Christ on the cross and thus died and was resurrected with Him to a new life. Thus you are now set free from the sins and soul ties that have held you back. You believe that? Let me say amen, amen. What I'm going to do is I'm going to open up... Um, we have. Till five, right? So, we have um, at this time, we're going to open up for questions that you have. Uh, it could be, especially for this one first, and then we can backtrack a little. But if you have questions for this one? Go ahead. Okay, let me get, see if I can get it clearly. So, you're saying that when you die in Christ, like what happens to the other bad marriage? Yeah, or what happens to the marriage you're in? What if currently that marriage is the bad marriage? And you end up dying in Christ. Do you you continue the relationship or... Oh, okay, yeah. So, this is actually talking about like sin specifically and also soul ties from your past rather than like... Because if you you die physically, then... That's it for you, we right? are just can't get married again. <laughs> so basically you would just yeah, that's yeah then you clarify it so is that okay, so yeah, that physically you you cannot die. Question? Go ahead. Uh, what about uh, people that are common law have been together for so long and and then they finally they break apart and they might get married? How's that? So like sanction or something? So people who like common marriage yeah. common law Okay, so the, so your question is, if they're living like common law, like are they considered married or not? Is that what you're saying? Oh. Yeah, they got married or they oh. Okay. They, they broke up oh. They got okay. Well, they got mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Good question. So, yeah. So I guess the Bible talks. They may be together. But like the Bible says, whatever is bound on earth is bound in heaven, right? So that's why you have the marriage covenant and the marriage vows. So when you make the vows, that's why it says the mouth of two or three witnesses, so every word be established. So you need like two witnesses to watch the marriage. So it's bound on earth by the two witnesses, and whatever is bound on this earth is bound in heaven. So you may be living together and not really... um, considered to be married by God unless there's actually an official ceremony that um, that is seen on this earth and recognized on this earth that's also recognized in heaven. And then you consider to be really married. Does that kind of answer? That's part of it. Was there another part that you want to add? Okay. And the other part was maybe we can talk later. How's that? I'm sorry. I'm misunderstanding. I'm probably, I'm probably tired. so Sorry about that. Okay. This one has huh? To is it a communion service that you do or do you have to get re once you really like, yes yeah. Yeah, so to me the understanding of Romans 7 is not the like baptism is only an outward act of what already is done in your heart in your mind right. so the, really the soul tie being broken is really um, you actually believing this gospel would be true and going through it and actually being um, set free in your own mind first and be married to Christ, and that's where the soul ties being broken. So before baptism, yeah. but then the, but the baptism, you know, is an outward act. It's kind of like you love Jesus, kind of like a, like a marriage. You love that person, and the marriage is actually an external public declaration that you're already in love, right? And that you can be committed to this person. So baptism is kind of like an external public declaration to everyone that you're married to Christ, right? Married, and so. Um, Is really there. But you're talking about rebaptism. That's what you're saying. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, believe it in your mind. And there's two things in, for rebaptism in the Bible. There's, the first reason for rebaptism in the Bible was that, um, uh, like a falling away and then coming back to God. And the second thing that the Bible talks about, rebaptism was um, a greater knowledge, like a knowledge of truth, right? And so, like, John was, and so we, we heard about the baptism of John, but we never heard of this baptism of, of Jesus, and so they got rebaptized. So that's a greater understanding of what maybe it's really all about and, and um, a greater knowledge of truth. And so if you feel that the Holy Spirit's convicting you to go in this direction, then, then follow the convictions of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. I think one we'll lady back there. Hold on a minute. Yeah, good question. I didn't know it was going to go that direction, but you know, that's a very good question. And that's actually uh, true. So that's why, you know, you can't see the men said, remember they're asking why we can get a divorce for anything, they're saying, right? Like, and Jesus said, no. Because um, they want to like, this get a divorce to their wife and put it away in the papers of divorcement. And Jesus said, no, you can't just divorce for any reason. It has to be for sexual immorality, right? For cheating and having an affair. That's the only reason you can get a divorce. And then he said this. He said, um, only because of the what? Hardness of your heart. Because it had not been so since the beginning of time. So in other words, I really don't want you. That's the only reason, yes. But truly, if you have unconditional love, you're not going to do it. And that's like the another level, which you know, very few people, few people have. But so it has to be like in an, an affair. And so... I know people are getting into the emotional affair and all that, but it has to be an actual physical sexual affair rather than, like, emotional affair. And I believe that's when actually you have to be stuck. So go ahead. Did I finish it? Okay, so, yeah, that's another, this, this is going to domestic violence right here, okay. So, um, that's true, abusive relationships, you know, there's nothing against, yes, you may not be able to divorce from, um, like, physical violence, physical abuse, but you can still separate from that person, right, and even talks about coming away from that person for a time, right, the Bible says, right, and coming back together so they won't be tempted. So, there's a, actually getting away from that person, but, Unfortunately, the Bible said the only way you can do it is actual sexual um, adultery. So yeah, and we recommend that. I think the only thing that really wakes up people to stop physical abuse, emotional abuse, whatever abuse, spiritual abuse, is time away. Make them think a little bit. Kind of shocks them, and that's what. That's why I see things change. Um, that's the only thing I see. Well, some other things, but that's the main thing I see change. Okay. Uh, okay. Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, so you were saying that when a man and a woman are in a marriage together and they divorce and if that person is still alive then, and they remarry an adulterer, so if that person who remarries got re- baptized, is re- that a sinner who should always be a sinner because she remarried be that person? Oh, wow. Yeah, we're going the heavy stuff here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good question. Uh, I believe that. Okay, the question is that you know, if they've been in a marriage and they got a divorce, and this person didn't commit adultery, right? Are they still and this person gets married to another person? Because the Bible says it's not me saying it. Okay, it's the Bible just, we just read it. It said the Bible says that there's she's committing adultery because they got divorced not based upon adultery. Does that make sense? And so that's what the Bible is saying. Yeah. So like, like she's saying that. Can you? go through this whole Roman 7, you know, like, ritual, and that will set you free from the marriage of this person. That's what it's saying. But it's actually talking about the physical, um, when he's talking about that. This is actually only the spiritual setting free from sin and from soul ties, but not the physical, literal setting free from the physical act of marriage. So no. You know, I think at the times of ignorance, God winks at. You're only held accountable for what you know. If you didn't know it back then, you're not held accountable. That's how I see that. Um, and God meets you where you're at is where you're at. You know, he meets you there, and he's going to help pull you. If you didn't know, or you weren't convicted of it at that time, you're not, I don't believe, you're not held accountable for it. So at the times of all ignorance, God winks at it. Okay, wait. <laughs> Divorce or die? Or Romans 7, spiritually, or real life? Or? No, no. Okay. I get divorced. Okay. 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 Oh. Well, I think it's important to understand that um, there's no sin that God can't forgive unless sure. things that we didn't know and there's things that we're growing in as Christians and God gives us um, wisdom um, to understand those things and he also changes us and makes us new creatures as we grow in him. So there are no sins that God can't forgive unless it's an really heart. True. To True. Yeah so you know God like I said you didn't know God winks at it and even if you were in that situation God um you know he still works with you in where you're at. So, he, he, he's going to, but there's still that principle that if you do know, God wants us to, if you are married to someone, that is actually, is going to stay through all the way through, yeah? And the only reason for sex, for like a divorce is actual sexual immorality. That's just the, the principle that we learned from the Bible. Yeah. Because, oh yeah. Like, I wanna believe that like the gospel is gonna like be a like a magic thing that everything that I've done is done. Yeah, this so, this, so he's asking cool. like what about consequences? So this is not dealing with consequences. This is dealing with the soul ties of people who have a connection with you from the past coming into your relationships. Consequences I have another presentation called The Player Gets Played, like David actually used that story where um, it's still going to come. And you just have to deal with it. And God's going to use those suffering as a means for us to draw closer to Him. That's what it is. Yeah? So God's going to take the bad. You meant it for my evil. but God, Even divorce or whatever you're going through. God, you know, you're going, you've been through the hard times. You're going through the suffering. God, you meant it for my evil, but God meant it for my good. To save many souls alive. What do you say? Amen? So He's going to take the bad that you've gone through, and He's going to turn around for good, and He's going to use you. To reach many souls for jesus christ so but um we're out of time right now um but if you have any more questions you can meet us at a booth you can talk with us there uh 205 and um god bless you and you want to sign up for emails you can meet my wife back there sign up i have some brochures if you're interested in a school and um, god bless you thank you for coming appreciate it god bless you good night This message was recorded at the GYC 2017 Conference Arise in Phoenix, Arizona. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire young people to be Bible-based, Christ-centered, and soul-winning Christians. To download or purchase other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org.